listen to what he has to say? As we finish up this series, Hotline to Heaven, I want to talk to you about how to, how to begin to behave on what it is that God is actually talking with us about. How to actually walk out the things that he's telling us in our hearts. So will you join me this morning as we pray? God, thank you for your grace, Lord, when we try to go it our own way. Oftentimes we give you a busy signal. Lord, we give you a, I'm, I'm just a little too busy, God, moment. I pray that you help us this morning as we embark on this journey. We need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of John chapter 4, I don't need you to open to that. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of James. As you're opening it up to the book of James, John chapter 4 tells us a story of the Samaritan woman that so many of you are familiar with. The Samaritan woman is a, is a story of a woman who was just an average lady. Well, in a lot of ways, she was average to so many of us. We catch this woman on her way out to getting water for her or her family to, for, to take care of their stuff. It says that she was out there at midday getting water for her family. And, and if you know that in the Middle East, the midday is the hottest part of the day, most people would never go collect water at the hottest part of the day. They would collect it early in the morning or they would do it late in the evening where it was cooler. But this woman went by herself out to this well. When she got to the well, Jesus was sitting there and he looks at this woman. Now keep in mind, this is the first century. This is a Jewish a dominated craziness. But nevertheless, in this moment, for a male Jewish person to talk to any female, not to least of which is a Samaritan woman, was absolutely off limits. You would, they would never be seen talking with each other, Jew and Samaritan, let alone man and woman in that moment for that thing. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, do you have something that you could give, to reach into the well to give me something to drink? And in that moment, she says, uh, or or she, she says, well, sure. And she ends up starts to talk about this whole thing as they're, they're talking about this, this moment, about getting Jesus some water. I think I love about this story is it's just like a phone call that Jesus seems to set up for her. Everyone's gone. The disciples had gone into the community to get something to eat. Jesus is there alone at this well. Jesus starts a, he starts a phone call with this woman. And as they begin to talk, he begins to open her heart and in this moment, in John chapter 4, he begins to expose to her her greatest need. He literally begins to tell her how much he knows of her. He tells her, I, I know that you've been married five times and you're living with a man that you are not married to currently. You see, the reason she came out at midday to get water was because her community had, had shunned her. Her community had pushed her aside as being marginalized. And Jesus said, you're not marginalized to me. If you answer the phone call I'm about to give you right now, your life will be changed. He calls her literally and begins to talk to her. Her life gets dramatically transformed because she answered the call. My question for you this morning is, how often are we just ignoring the ringing phone in the corner when Jesus says, hey, are you there? I know your life. I know your mistakes. I know your trials. I know your wins and your losses and your attempts. I know them all. But I want you to know there's hope. And more often than not, we just kick the phone off the hook and say, uh, I guess as soon as I get my life in order, I'll put the phone back on the hook so I can answer it. Instead, we just give Jesus this busy, busy signal. Hmm. Open your Bibles up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I love this. The book of James, it's interesting to me. 
Because James, to me, is a, uh, it's a great story. Just the fact, the reading of the book of James. James, I don't know for those of you that don't know this, but James was the half-brother of Jesus. So Mary had other sons and daughters, and Mary, remember Mary and Joseph Mary? Mary had James, right? He also, she also had Jude, by the way, the, the other book in the Bible that you don't know of, back in the back of the Bible, James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Could you imagine being raised in the same house of Jesus? Could you imagine being the, the little brother of Jesus? A guy who doesn't make mistakes, really. A guy who doesn't lie, he doesn't cheat, he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't sin, could you imagine what that would have been like? That would have been frustrating, wouldn't it? It'd be like, it'd be like trying to live with somebody who was completely well perfect. <laughs> How about that, right? Could you imagine? Get this. The Bible actually tells us that James and his brothers didn't actually believe in Jesus as they were growing up, right? They grew up with him, but they didn't actually surrender their lives to him until what later? They, they, in fact, it says, and interestingly enough, it says in John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Hmm. The book of James was written around 44 AD, right? Jesus, Jesus is raised from the dead just a few years earlier than this. Remember, Jesus lived till about 30 or 33. So about 14 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, this book was written. It's quite frankly the earliest New Testament book written after Jesus. I mean, so this wasn't just James who, who just writes out of some good theory or just good memories. This is James who physically grew up and knew Jesus personally. He knew him better than anyone. I love the book of James because there's just this, this when I read James, I just get this picture of this guy who like knew, he knew Jesus. I mean, he knew, he knew Jesus. He knew he wasn't blowing smoke. He knew he wasn't just being phony. And I love the book of James. It starts out in, in, in verse one. He says, I am a servant of Christ. I'm always amazed at what it took for James, the brother of Jesus, to become James, the follower and servant of Jesus. What does it take for someone to become a believer? What does it take for someone like, G like James to actually come to this surrendered point and of saying, like, I'm completely about you now? Hmm. I wonder what it takes for us to come to that point where we finally say, Jesus, it's really about you. Where we move from being a believer to becoming a behavior. I think some of us might be believers, but we're not really good behaviors. Something changed in James, bringing him from this point of, of perhaps head knowledge, maybe even willful heart knowledge, to, to where it became uh, foot knowledge. He began to walk out what he said he believed. He not only picked up the phone to answer the call from Jesus, he began to walk out what it was that Jesus was saying. Hmm. James. I love this. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. He writes this, My dear brothers and sisters. Now James is writing this to, to believers. He's writing this to people who are Christians, telling them, this is how you're going to begin to grow up. Can I tell you this? This is just isn't rocket science, but I'll tell you the truth. Do you realize that you have to choose to grow up, but you don't have to choose to grow older? Right? You'll just grow older. Some of us, there's nothing worse than seeing someone who's grown older and didn't grow up. Come on. Yeah, we exist at times. I'm telling you, it's not good. You've seen people who have literally grown older but didn't grow up. James says, listen, for us to choose, we have to choose. And there's going to be trials in life, but we got to choose to grow up. I'll just tell you today, if you take one thing from this message today, is, you might be this. 
You must choose to grow up. You don't have to choose to grow older. Here we go. James chapter 119. My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. So get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept this message God has planted in your hearts. For it is strong enough to save your souls. Verse 22, listen to this. And remember, it's a message to obey, not just listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in the mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself and you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I want to challenge you this morning to move from being a believer to being a behavior. To, 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 to quite frankly, pick up the phone and answer it and say, God, whatever you say, I'll do. How do you move from being a believer to being a behavior? Someone who walks out what they are hearing from God. I love what James says right here. From moving from a believer to being a behavior. Number one, he says this, be quick to listen. Quick to listen. You know, at face value, quick to listen sounds like, uh, to me, sounds like oftentimes a, a good kindergarten teacher trying to get their kids to sit down and be good listeners, right? Use your ears, be good listeners. It sounds like James is just inspired by the Holy Spirit telling him, just be a good listener. Can I tell you that when we slow down and read our Bibles, there's always more there than meets the eye. James is talking to us and he's saying, listen, for you to grow up, not just progress in time and grow older, but for you to grow up and for you to answer the phone call that God's giving you, you have to become one who listens quick. Be quick to listen. Be quick to do whatever it is that you're hearing. I went back to the original language here, and in the Greek, the word quick means to be eager. To be eager. The word quick doesn't just mean fast or something in a hurry, even though that's important, and it certainly holds water to say God wants us to be quick to do what he says. But here the word quick means to be eager, to be attentive and eager, to be, to be looking forward to, be quick to listen. And the word listen here in the Greek actually means this, to attend to that which is being said. In other words, if, we could, if I could rewrite this in the New Lance translation, I would say this, be eager to do what it is that you're hearing. Be eager to do what it is that you're hearing. I love this because James is writing this in 44 AD. We know history tells us that about in 70 AD, there was this massive persecution that went on the land. And people were spread all over through, throughout the world, uh, the, the Asian world over there. But, but in that moment, in that first century, uh, the, 70 AD was a few years away. James is telling them, consider a pure joy the trials you're about to face. The, the, the tumult, was, tumult was already starting to heat up. And James is telling them, listen, be quick, be eager to listen what God tells you to do. So often we as Christians hear the, 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 the gentle whisper of God telling us to do something. Hey, trust me with your, uh, your resources. Hey, ask her for forgiveness. Hey, let that person, hey, do that thing. Uh, my, my, uh, my wife and I were visiting my uh, niece a couple of weeks ago in Spokane. And we were there, and I, I always try to keep just a little cash in my wallet. There's not much in there, but I just try to, because I always know there's going to be something, right? Going, you know that. There's going to be something, some parking you got to pay for. that They don't take a, a debit card or whatever, and so just a little cash in it. Just so it happens 
that there was a $100 bill that I stashed in there a while back, right? Doesn't always happen, but I tried to stash that in there and forget about it. I tried to forget about it until I got to Spokane. And this young single niece mom who's over there with a couple of little babies is sitting there. Hi, Uncle Lance. And the Lord just goes, this is what I want you to do with that money. And I was like, yeah, uh, could we take you, could we, could we buy you lunch? And he's like, nope, because you'll use your debit card for that. Use the cash. And I was like, nah, uh, hey, could we encourage you with a nice thought? I mean, I'm trying everything I can, right? Don't look at me like that. You'd be the same, Right? <laughs> So I, I take it out of my wallet, and I was like, hey, honey, I just feel like, so Paul, well, let's go buy a card, Polly says. So we buy a card. The whole time, she's buying a card. She's writing in it. She's like, well, you know, we should put flowers around it, too. So she gets flowers. And the car, every single second that goes by, I'm talking myself out of it. Come on. I'm like, yeah, maybe we, yeah. how about, because I know Polly's got a little cash in her wallet, too. And I'm like, this is your niece. Why don't you fess up, man? <laughs> yeah, now you know the, the real heart of your pastor there, right? So... <laughs> So, so I did. I gave it over. gave it to her. And, and let me tell you this. Sometimes we ignore that little voice. We just push it off and say, nah, that's not God. Could you imagine if we were eager to be attentive to what it is that God is saying? I mean, just eager. And say, God, whatever you say today, I'm going to be about. What would life be like if every time we heard the, the phone ring and we just picked it up and said, whatever you say, I'll do. God, whatever you say, I'll do. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you heard that gentle whisper from God and you said no? How'd that go for you? You know, you find yourself thinking, you second guess, why didn't I, shoulda, coulda, woulda, all those moments, right? What would happen if you made a commitment today to say, God, I want to be quick to listen, eager to respond to what it is that you're saying and maybe it is to, to, uh, to go and talk to someone or seek forgiveness or to whatever it is in your life that you say, I just want to do this right. And you do that thing, that next right thing, and you're quick to listen. I love this. To me, what I hear, what I hear James saying is that, that as, as believers, when we hear the phone ring, and be quick, be eager to do what it is that he's telling us to do. And watch what God does in your life. He goes on to say this. Actually, it says, David says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, O Lord. Teach me your principles or your ways. I have recited aloud all the laws that you have given to us. I have rejoiced in your decrees as much as riches. I will study your commandments, reflecting on your laws. I will delight in your principles and, and not forget your word. Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths of your law. And as I read this, I stop and see somebody who wanted to be eager and quick to listen in King David. I wonder what happens to the life of the person who says, God, I'll do whatever you say whenever you say it. I wonder what happens to the anxiety and the fear and the worry that seems to reside within our hearts. Maybe that just goes away because your heart becomes one who's attentive to the words of God. Like David, he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. You see, I wonder if maybe that's the reason we don't have that, uh, that, that when people will come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't feel close to God. I just don't feel like he speaks to me. I just want to say, are you eager to be attentive to whatever he tells you to do? Because as you do, I feel like that God fills your heart with a desire for more of him. Hmm. Number two, how to move from a believer to being a behavior. Be slow to speak. Slow to speak. 
It says in uh, James 1.19, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I always think it's funny. Um, you ever, ever been in a room before where somebody's just quiet? The, the quiet person in the room. What happens when you walk into a room of people who are all just yatty, chatty, and yappy, right? Where there's a quiet person. Isn't there always this awkward, weird perception that that person who's the most quiet is the smartest one in the room, right? The Bible actually says that. He says that, um, I'll use the, the, my own words in this one, but even a dumb guy looks smart when he keeps his mouth shut, <laughs> right? <laughs> New Lance translation, right? Uh, one of my favorite stories is, is your dad, Jonathan, Dale. Uh, Dale called me. I love this guy. Any room I'm in, he's the quietest guy in the room. And there ain't no question that he's the smartest dude around, man. I'm listening. There's times when, I, when I'd be in a room with Dale, and, and, and the, the room would be loud and chatty, and he might throw a smirk or a smile up, but he wouldn't say anything. And then the moment he would have a moment, he, he would just share this wisdom, like just syrup that would just, just pour over the top of you, and everything that was spoken was like stupid. That we would say on top of what he said. And I was like, you know what? Whatever he said. We'll just do what he said. Because he's super smart. Right? Let me tell you this. Right? He says, slow to speak. I would just challenge you. Next time you're in a room, don't say anything for a while. And just watch how everyone looks at you with, with deep respect and awe. And then I challenge you to not say something then. Because <laughs> the moment you open your mouth, it'll all go away. Slow to speak. In the Greek, the word slow, this is deep. In the Greek, the word slow means slow. Actually means not fast. Slow, the word speak, get this. The word speak means to share out loud that which is on your mind. James says, be slow to share out loud that which is on your mind. Be slow to share out loud what's on your mind. How do we put that into our context today? Our, our social context, if you will, to be slow to express out loud that which is on your mind. I mean, social media wouldn't exist if we were slow to deliver that which was on our mind. I remember Polly and I, we went to uh, Florida one time to visit my mom, and uh, we, we made our way from Florida up to Alabama, and we were up in Alabama just for a, a day. We were driving around, and I remember we pulled into this intersection, really big intersection, and there are four corners in the intersection, and on each corner, were these fellas that were standing on boxes, just little boxes, standing on the street corner, yelling sermons at the, all four of them, just all preaching super loud. And they were, I mean, just yelling at the cars as they were driving by, but they would say like, repent or you're going to hell. The government is corrupt. Everybody on TV is lying. I mean, just screaming out loud, right? And so I'm sitting there looking, I was going like, hey, so I did what any... Any, any right-minded guy would do, I pulled the car over to the side next to one of them, and I rolled Polly's window down. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> honest truth. But nevertheless, I, I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, what are these guys doing? Like, they're just making a loud mess. Cars are driving by, horns are honking, trucks are loud, just a blah, just going on over the place. And these guys are trying to yell. It's 100 degrees outside, their faces are beat red, they're sweating, yeah, green pen. And it was just going on, right? And I thought, this is the birthplace of Twitter. <laughs> I was like, this looks a lot like Twitter to me. It's so funny, right? Because they're just, it's just loud, yelly opinions. And I wonder sometimes if we were slow to speak that was on our mind. It just made me stop and think when I look back on that moment. And I think, gosh, it was so loud and boisterous and no one seemed to care. They just wanted to yell louder than the other. 
And sometimes I think in our, in our social media world that there's this sense that if I, just, if I just type in all caps, that's what I'll do. I'll type in all caps. I'll just put it all caps. My mom doesn't realize that that means shouting. So she just sends, I love you, super loud. You know what I mean? Just th- these loud caps. And then some of you are like, I'll type in all caps and I'll put seven exclamation points behind it. That'll show I mean it. And we just get after it. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if we're doing anything more than those four guys on that street corner. I just don't know if we're doing anything good. We kind of tend to think we all tell the world what is righteous. And I wonder sometimes if we just lived righteous and we just walked upright and we lived humbly and we served one another and we cared about our neighbor, what would happen to the message? Something tells me it wouldn't be so loud and, you know, this is a word, shouty. It just wouldn't be so yelly and screamy and in your face. But it might be like the, the, the quiet person in the room and you would say, what do, you, what do you got to say? What if we, what if we took a page out of the, the inspired Holy Spirit scriptures from James and be slow to speak and slow to just deliver what's on our mind as fast as possible? Slow to just, to just run off at the mouth and tell everybody what we're thinking. I mean, come on, we live in a world that's crazy already. Do we need to really have a bunch of Christians telling the rest of the world how crazy the world really is? Or do we need a bunch of Christians who will just say, hey, there's a really great God that you can come to know and begin to live about him. What if we as Christians were to deliver that message over and over and just to begin to live it out in our, our, kids', our kids classrooms with our kids' teachers and, and the, the, whatever it is, the PTA you belong to, or whatever your housing development you care about, what if you were to actually go over and serve your neighbor and love on them and just show them what this message of being slow to speak is really about? I love that I'm not, on, um, I'm not on social media, so I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> but I know you're out there. The Bible says be quick to eager to respond to what God says, but slow to, to respond to what it is that you're thinking all the time. Not be so fast and flippant and, and cavalier and just whipping it out there. Because your voice is becoming numb to the rest of the world. The world's looking for hope. You know what the really, really, really honestly what the world is hoping? The world is hoping that this Jesus that you say you believe is actually real to you. They want to believe that you really follow a Jesus that you really believe in and that he's really real to you. That's what I found more than ever is that people really just want to know when, when, when life starts to go nuts, people want to look at me and they're like, Lance, please tell me you really believe this stuff. Lance, please show me that you actually care and believe what Jesus is saying. That's what they're hoping. Lance, please show me that you picked up the phone and answered the phone and began to walk out what he said. They don't need to hear you telling the rest of the world how bad that they already know it is. Hmm. Number three, how do you move from being a believer to being a behavior? Number three, coffee's awesome. Slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. It says in 119, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. I love this. By the way, this, is, this anger spoken of here isn't the kind of anger that is an outburst of rage. Of course, be slow to do that. Uh, in your anger, the Bible says, don't sin. Don't, don't, don't let this, this outburst of rage happen. This isn't what this anger is talking about. 
Jesus says here, in, or James says here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, be slow to anger. The, the word anger here actually means this. Be slow to deep-seated resentment. The anger spoken of here is that which is of a deep-seated resentment. You know, you can have a deep-seated resentment for a long time and never actually bump into its, uh, its poison until, you, uh, until it gets bumped into you can have that in your heart for years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of deep-seated resentment. And as soon as that bugger gets bumped into, it's not as if it just happened. You can have a deep-seated resentment. To me, I'm, I'm reading this passage of Scripture, and I think, okay, what is James telling us? He says, be quick to listen. Be eager to respond to what God says. Be slow to speak. In other words, don't just be quick and flippant to just yap off what's on your mind. And he says, listen, ultimately, if you want to find this true behavior that's right with God, listening to the phone call and responding appropriately, if you want to do it right, he says, listen, don't forget to not have deep-seated resentments. Deep-seated resentments. Deep-seated resentment. So I could, I could give you example after example, but I can see in your faces you know exactly what that means. It's that hurt and that pain that you've allowed to grow into something that's beginning to give you a limp as you walk. A deep-seated resentment. It's that, that fear that's grown in your heart and in your mind that, that you can't make small anymore because it's grown huge. But, but on the outside, you smile. How's it going? It's going good. How about you? Are you good? I'm good. You're good. We're good instead of the deep-seated resentment that sits beneath the surface just at any moment, just like the sliver under the skin that once it gets bumped and it's infected and it begins to just shout out with pain. Deep-seated resentment's horrible. Deep-seated resentment sits inside our hearts and begins to rot us from the inside out. James 21 verse 20 says this, Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. So get rid of the filth and evil in your, in your lives and humbly accept the message that God has planted in your hearts for it's strong enough to save your souls. When I read this passage, it says, it says, my brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then the next verses down say this, in your anger, your anger can never make things right in God's sight. So get rid of filth and evil in your lives. I've seen pastors take those scriptures and separate them apart as if they're two separate things. As if God is saying, hey, don't be angry and get rid of all the evil in your life. Now that holds water. Good idea. Don't be angry and don't, don't hang on to the evil in your lives. Can I be so bold as to tell you <laughs> I think the translators might have missed this one a little bit because I think verse 21 and 20 actually work together. I think it's one big message that's connected to the be slow to angry message. I think really what it's saying is this. It's saying this. Be slow, be slow to carry deep-seated emotion, deep-seated resentment. I'm going I'm to reword it my way in James chapter 1, verse 20. Here's, here's what it says currently. Uh, your anger will never make things right in God's sight, so get rid of all filth evil in your lives. Here's where I would, I would write it this way. That deep-seated resentment can never make things right in God's eyes, so get rid of it. All of the filth and evil that it's causing in you. But humbly accept the message that God has planted in your hearts. I think the deep-seated resentment is, calling, is, is causing filth and anger in our lives. It's, it, it sits beneath the surface, but to me, it's, it's the boiling it's the boiling pot that's just right on the edge of just blowing up the lid off the pot. 
I think so many of us have deep-seated resentments for, uh, you could, for your family, for somebody who's hurt you, or for, for uh, a decision that was made at work, or someone in our government. There's this deep-seated resentment, this venom that sits beneath the surface. And can I be so bold as to tell you, I believe that is stunting our growth. And so many of us have this deep-seated resentment towards somebody in our lives. And can I tell you, I sat in my office a, a few weeks ago, with this person that came in with this issue, and, and they were unloading this issue on what it was. And the reason I need to meet with you, Pastor, is this issue. And I, I, I told them up front, I'm not a counselor. You don't want to talk to me. And this person said, Why? And I said, Because I'll tell you exactly what I'm thinking. A counselor won't. A, a counselor will kind of nudge you into the right way. But if you really want to talk to me, I'm going to tell you. And so this person began to share their heart. And in this moment, and, and I realized really quickly that that wasn't the issue we were reading, meeting for. I quickly began to sense in my heart that there was a deep-seated resentment. And so I said, okay, thank you for sharing me your big pain. But let me tell you what I really think is happening. There's a deep-seated resentment here that needs to be dealt with by forgiveness. And she goes, you're right, I shouldn't have talked to you. (laughs) I said, I just want you to know, that's going to rot you from the inside out. It's already started. And she goes, yeah, but I came to talk to you about... I said, yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this. She goes, what's the number to that counselor? (laughs) Can I just tell you this? Some of our deep-seated resentment needs to be forgiven. And I began to explain to her that forgiveness isn't letting that person off the hook. Forgiveness is letting you off the hook. Forgiveness doesn't let that person who hurts you go free. Forgiveness lets you go free. Deep-seated resentment results in us saying to God, I hear you speaking, but I ain't going to listen because I'm so angry at what happened to me. Now, I'd like to get to heaven and all, God, but I'm not walking out this forgiveness thing. Deep-seated resentment. Hmm. I took this passage, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and I reversed it. When we are slow to listen quick to speak, and really fast to become angry, we will never walk in obedience to God. We'll never walk in obedience to God. We'll never become a behavior. We might be a believer, but we won't be a behavior. So many of us have this phone in our hand, and we're like, God, I, I, I don't necessarily want to listen to you, so I'll, I'll leave it off the hook there, and you can do all the talking you want to. I'll lift my hands, and I'll sing the songs, but God... Can I challenge you this week? We walk into Thanksgiving this week. Thanksgiving week, it's, it's one of my favorite holidays. And it's not just because there's awesome food. Now that's a bonus. It's my favorite holiday because there's no, there's no obligatory gift giving required. <laughs> and again, I, I'm, I'm the, my wife's spiritual gift, honestly, is gift giving. So I don't want to dumb that down. It's important. We just always can't afford her spiritual gift. But, but, <laughs> but I can tell you, right, I, I love... I love Thanksgiving because we get an opportunity to sit down and just face it up, be face to face. But can I tell you in this room and those of us who are watching you online, this day is terrifying to many. It's terrifying. Because you know you have to face that person who hurts you. You know that person's gonna show up that that you hurt. This Thanksgiving, you're gonna bump into somebody who's that crazy uncle or that uh, that crazy person who, who just seems to get under your skin and you know that you're going to be in the room with that person for several hours. 
For some, this is going to confront the quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's going to expose some of it. Why would I preach a message like this in the face of Thanksgiving? Because we're in the face of Thanksgiving. Is that why I preach a message like this? I want to prepare you as you walk into that house or they walk into your house or into that moment. For some, this is a super lonely holiday because no one's inviting them to whatever. Can I just challenge you? Invite somebody. Bring them over to your your party. Let them see it. So they can see the Jesus that they're so mad at you about. You're just going to begin to show them how to live it out. Let's walk and see what Jesus has for us today. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, there's no one like you. God, I pray today that as each one of us is confronted with our own reality of our snappy tongue or our opinions that are an inch away from just being typed or spoken. And God, for the person here who has a deep-seated resentment, Lord, that they have never let out of that chasm in their life, I pray today, God, that we would come and seek your forgiveness first and foremost. If that's you today and that's been a part of your journey, can you just square up with God right now? Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me in those places that I've been, I've been so mad. And ultimately, God, I've even lifted a fist, at least quietly and privately, to heaven and said, God, how dare you? Just right now, between you and him, say, God, forgive me. And Lord, I pray for these relationships that we're going to bump into this week. It should help us to, God, face them with courage. Face them with self-control. Face them with a sense of wanting to honor and walk out and not just hear the words spoken, but, God, begin to behave the words that we know. So have your way, Jesus. We need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen.